Let's cut through the mainstream financial advice out there. This is your quick financial tip from your rich uncle. Hey folks, it's your rich uncle here. Now today we're going to be talking a lot about your COVID-19 recovery plan. Like what the heck to do, right? Not saying that the pandemic is over, not saying that the pandemic has been over for a year and a half now, but what transpired over the pandemic and what are the lessons learned is what we're going to be going through today. But more importantly, what is the action plan that you out there should be partaking in? All right, well, here we go. Hey folks, it's your rich uncle here. We're going to be talking about what to do now that the pandemic is over. At least, well, I think it's over. You never know. Some of these items I kind of wrote in my journal from back in May 2021 on when things kind of finally opened up. But I think it's safe to kind of release this video now that Hawaii, the place that I live, has finally gotten on board and we don't really have to use our masks here anymore. This is not going to be a waste of time political video. This is going to be more an actional plan and some opinions I have with the economy and what you guys should be doing as investors out there. So here we go. So a little bit recap on what happened during uh, the early parts of 2021. You know, none of us went through a pandemic and nobody knew how this would you know, transpire, right? I think a lot of people were pretty bearish, which means that they think that the world's gonna end and all the stock market and the housing prices were gonna come crashing down, right? That what you would think in tumultuous times. But here's what happened, right? A lot of people, they didn't wanna put their properties on the market. Maybe my theory is they didn't wanna have people come through their houses and give them cooties. And a lot of people were just staying put. So what happened there was, you know, housing supply or the prices of houses dictated by primarily a couple of things, demand and supply. There wasn't that many people putting their houses on the market, therefore supply was low. We don't know if demand was higher than normal or lower than, than more normal, it doesn't matter. But I'm going to willing to say that demand was sort of neutral, but the fact that supply was low, prices went up and that's what we saw transpire over the next couple of years through the pandemic. There were a lot of bidding wars for houses and a lot of people just felt like they should probably put more money into their houses or in their living conditions because it made sense because I mean you're at home all the freaking time so it made sense to expand your traditional one third of your income going to your housing or your mortgage or your rent and maybe expand that up to a little bit maybe to half. Um, today, when we take applicants for our apartment complexes or some of our investors are still sing doing some single family home rental properties, the general rule of thumb is it's about a third of the person's income um, needs to be there to be able to pay for the rent. A couple other takeaways here, you know, people start to flee the cities, you know, you take San Francisco, for example, great city with a lot of activities there a lot of if you discount a lot of people robbing walgreens blind and taking poops on the street and all the homeless but a lot of cool stuff there but that lot of cool stuff isn't happening during the pandemic and therefore why does it make sense to pay a million million and a half dollars for a piece of junk house when you can go elsewhere so this is where a lot of people are fleeing to more of the secondary and tertiary markets Places like that you wouldn't normally think like Boise and the general mass exodus and entrance into places like Arizona, Texas, a lot of these kinds of states that we like to invest in, you know, the Sun Belt states. 
but all right, right. Pandemic's over and I we've started to see people move right back into those cities, those low cap markets such as New York, San Francisco, LA, started to rebound now. Um, but still, you know, those general trends that happened prior to the pandemic, such as moving to these Sunbelt states, these secondary markets like in Florida, Texas, Arizona, that is continuing the trend. If anything, the pandemic accelerated a lot of these trends, right? To move away from the city centers, the core business districts into more of the suburbs where things are a little bit more spaced out and also into these other metros, these secondary markets, such as the Sunbelt states, as I mentioned. Now, the whole idea between moving from urban areas to suburban areas back and forth has been happening since the beginning of time. You know, I think a lot of newer investors think, you know, everybody's moving away from the cities. Why move to the cities? There's also like, you know, semi city centers in like the midtown type of areas, 30 minutes outside the core business district where you don't have all the traffic and, and urban density. But typically, you know, these things, if you kind of look through history, it kind of bounces back and forth. Um, so I wouldn't really get too much enthralled in all that. You know, there's a big trend. Everybody's moving outside the cities. The cities is where the businesses are happening. And yes, the pandemic did take people out of the offices and people are still trying to stay at home holding on to dear life so they don't have to go back to an office, office setting. But in my opinion, I think that you know, a lot of people still need to go back to work and be babysat all day long. You know, I mean, maybe if you're making 100, 200, $300,000 plus as a high le higher level middle, mar middle manager, C-suite level type of person, you don't need to be babysat. But let's look at it quite frankly from a perspective of like pay and salaries. Most people working in an office these days in America are making some between $40,000 to $100,000. And their behavior definitely changes if their boss is in the cubicle next or has the office next door or even the office five floors up, 10 floors up. The, it, there is a still a need and maybe call me old school conservative, but for whether it's worth, you know, we've bought up a building uh, we bought, we, we're still buying office complexes through this pandemic. So I'll, unlike, unlike a lot of other these YouTube influencers out there, I put my money where my mouth is and I put money where I do think. And I do think office, if you buy it at the right price, right? We bought a lot of these properties where it could sustain its cash flow at a very low occupancy level. You know, some of these on around 50% occupancy. And when this thing goes back up to 70, 80%, you know, Cha-ching, cha-ching, you know. I'm not saying that it's gonna go up to 80, 90% like how it was, but that's, if you buy anything at the right price, this is what, how it builds legacy wealth. So I guess that's a big takeaway there. Find things that people will need in the long run. Don't just get caught up with, oh, there's a pandemic happening now, and it's like everybody wants to move to the suburbs or vice versa. So going through the pandemic, we had a lot we didn't know what was gonna happen. We own about seven, 8,000 apartment complexes at this point, over a billion dollars of assets under ownership. And here's what we, we saw. And again, we own a lot of workforce style housing. So rents between $700 to $1,200 a month. Definitely not the high end stuff, but you know, definitely not the war zone type of, you know, shady kind of character areas. I would like to, I always like to call it kind of the middle of America, right? The lower middle class is kind of who we cater towards because in a recession or pandemic, people need a place to live. 
and in tough times, the A-class renters move to something that we own. And so in our theory is that business gets better. But here's what happened during the pandemic. You know, people didn't move around, right? When you're in lockdown mode, especially in the beginning of 2020, you're not going around looking for your apartment complex uh, or looking for a house to move into. You're kind of stuck. You can't literally can't go and view these types of properties. Sure, there was a lot of virtual showings and there's there's been a, a lot of technology pushed forward and adopted because of the pandemic where you can do a, like a 3D tour, which helps. And for an apartment, that's more of a commodity. You know, it is kind of helpful, at, in fact. Um, whereas houses are pretty unique and I can see where, you know, somebody at the end of the day, when they're going to plunk down a million dollars, they still want to go walk through the actual uh, property. But for our apartments, you know, they're pretty much commodities. And even with that fact, tenants weren't really moving around for much of 2020. And in the beginning of the pandemic, you know, we saw our occupancy drop a little bit. Normally we're in the mid 90s, low 90% of occupancy and our occupancy dropped maybe to the high 80s, so very slightly. Um, but after that, you know, it was mostly an idea that people just didn't want to move around. Everything was kind of frozen, which was actually a good thing. Now, coming through 2021, as the vaccine started to roll out, this is where a lot of people started to start to look around and move around. And there was, start, there was a start of a lot of this movement. You combine this with the fact that there was a lot of still eviction moratoriums and a government assistance programs. And, you know, our property managers are actually sitting down with a lot of our tenants, helping them do the paperwork to get the free government assistance money. Now, a lot of this went away. I'm going to get this wrong, but, you know, I'm the landlord here. And it's my opinion that a lot of that government assistance went away, but around um, probably around mid 2021. And at this point, you know, like this is where you started to see people drain their savings, what little that they have as most class B and C um, tenants. And they started to look and they started to be evicted. And a lot of these eviction moratoriums started to ease up in certain states. Um, good for the landlords, not really good for the tenants. But in the, in the end, we started to kind of feel a lot of these, these evictions happening where people who really shouldn't have been living there, lost their government assistance, and finally the eviction processes worked their due process. And you know we're kind of feeling the tail end effects of this come you know first quarter of 2022. And you know I think the one thing that was kind of sold a lot of these like YouTube folks and these podcasters, which by the way, check out our podcast, simplepassivecashflow.com on iTunes, Google Play, etc. Passive real estate for um, simple passive cash flow. You can find us there. But anyway, a lot of people like to sell this doom and gloom, right? The world is going to be ending and you know the eviction moratoriums is going to crash the market, which didn't really happen. And part of that is a lot of this stuff just takes its way, takes a lot of time to work its way through the snake, right? You know, think of that snake that eats the crocodile. I mean, of course the crocodile like busts open its stomach, but in this case with all these eviction moratoriums um, letting up and people going through the eviction process that couldn't pay, they didn't have the money, um, it just didn't overload the system. And it kind of worked its way nicely um, Maybe there was the government intended to do this. I mean, who knows? They really never get too much right. But I mean, let's give them a point here. It seems like they got it right where they was able to space out all the evictions 
where we as you know landlords we didn't really feel too much of it i mean we felt it but it wasn't an acute it wasn't really jammed up in one two three months it seemed to be spread out between six months to even a year where we were able to manage it and increase our concessions which is kind of like specials right you see those specials out there where you're offering half a month's rent when the evictions were a little bit higher what we needed to kind of fill um, units a little bit more aggressively and but overall 2021 is when rents really started to skyrocket across all markets places like phoenix you know you're talking 20 percent plus growth where you're paying a thousand dollars a month and the next year it's twelve hundred dollars a month and why did this happen well, one thing that a lot of people like to blame it on, especially the government, is inflation. And the reason why I say that, governments like inflation because it allows them to devalue the amount of debt. And this is a really smart thing to do, right? Sophisticated investors and you guys listening should be loading up as much good debt as possible to let time be your friend and inflation be your friend to devalue that amount of debt. Think about it, right? You pay for a million dollar house and $800,000 loan seems like a lot today, but think about how much that is going to be worth in 30 years. That $800,000 loan is probably going to feel more like a $200,000 loan by that time. And this is what governments are very sophisticated and understand. Whereas the regular people, maybe if you're listening here, you don't have that true understanding of how to use debt. Um, check out my articles and Forbes. You guys can check out the big article at simplepassivecashflow.com slash debt. But this is a big lesson for everybody. Use debt that is your friend and let it inflation erode your debt over time. Now, this is what a lot of um, what was happening. Inflation kind of got out of control a little bit and still is. Normally, it's sort of slated at 3%. The Fed, the Federal Reserve Bank, is a pseudo-government entity. Their mandate is to sort of create inflation as more consistent. What we don't want is inflation to go up and down, up and down, up and down, where we turn into Zimbabwe and our currency isn't worth jack. And that's just not good, right? That creates instability and, you know, all kinds of violence that starts to happen. You know, I, I honestly think that the Fed does a really good job at keeping our monetary value pretty consistent. And the way they do that is when inflation goes up, they start to do a thing called quantitative tightening where they increase the interest rates to cool off the system so that they can, in bad times, which I'm sure might might be happening, what they do is they lower the interest rates and a thing called quantitative easing, where now what they're doing is they're infusing money into the system, lowering interest rates, and this is what helps stimulate the economy through kind of these lulls in the economies. And the economy goes up and down like a sine curve, you know, Um, where there's ups and downs and this is a way that the fed can sort of artificially keep the highs not so high to bank it and kind of put away dry powder for bad times so the bad times don't get as bad so instead of you having a sort of up and down bipolar episode every you know few years it kind of gets a little bit more of a less dramatic type of growth pattern um, of higher of lower highs and higher lows that makes any sense but this is what's happening right we're seeing this play out inflation i think it's kind of gotten out there i'm sure you guys see all the videos out there inflation is happening and you know they've they've said that it's gotten as high as seven nine percent which is crazy because that's almost three times the average 
And if you look at some other websites out there, I like shadowstats.com, right? They've changed the way they, they kind of look at this metric called inflation. And the government kind of wants us to think that it is a lot lower than it really is. So shadow statistics, shout out to them. Um, they've found ways to kind of normalize it and they're kind of saying that it's even two times as much, maybe even 15% a year, which means that you, if you have a million dollars, it's worth 15% every single year, year, year. And who does this hurt? Well, it hurts the people who aren't able to get money into assets that go up with the pace of inflation. And it hurts like older people, right? Who are fixed incomes and have this old school mentality of paying off all their mortgages and debt. Again, don't do that. Don't fall into this. Because when you, you know, you say you have a paid off house at a million dollars, you're actually losing 15% a year. Now, maybe you don't believe in all this like government conspiracy, shadowstatistics.com type of stuff, but you know, still you're losing about eight, 9% every single year right now. So you need to be putting your money into assets that go up with the pace of inflation. I'm not a big fan of crypto, but you know what? If that's all you wanna do, then do it, right? I think the problem with real estate is that you need a certain amount of money to get started. And check out the other vehicles of, you know, how do you get started, but you typically need at least $30,000 to buy a down payment on a $100,000 house to get going. And the bad thing is you, there's that barrier to entry, but the good thing is that barrier to entry. And that's why I like real estate and that's why I buy bigger apartments because it's not like the average dude can just get on his Robinhood account or get the, get that, crypto um, app and you know, I'm like, I'm a loss for what these stupid crypto websites are because I think it's kids play, right? I mean, I think if you don't know anything and you don't, you haven't have a sizable amount of money, then yeah, you have to do what everybody else does and goes to these kinds of um, crypto apps for the masses. And maybe that's a bad attitude, but what I'm saying, and maybe that's what you have to get started with. But as soon as you got 30 grand, 50 grand, and you can get a loan, go and buy real rental real estate because it's a hard asset. It doesn't go up and down, up and down. You can start to get in real estate and what you really wanna be doing and we talk about in other videos and get into the force appreciation game where you're creating value, right? You're rehabbing units to bump the value, taking you know, your own money in your own hands as opposed to the buy, hope, and pray model. Buy, hope, and pray model is buying something low, hoping it's gonna go high even if it might be like a turnkey rental, right? You're not doing any value add to it. You're buying low and hoping that the damn thing goes up in price. Nice thing about real estate is you got a lot of tax benefits that you don't get over crypto. And that's why I also like real estate from that perspective. But you wanna get your money into stuff that is improving, not only for long-term wealth building, but it's the right thing to do, right? I mean, if you believe in karma, you know, if you want to be true wealth comes to those people who create value in the world. All right, so I talked a lot about stuff there. Um, here's the action plan, guys. Go out and go buy something if you've got money, right? If you don't have money, this, prop, this channel ain't for you, right? If you're a broke guy who spends more than you make, number one, you've gotta go find a better job. Maybe college is a way of doing that, but you gotta go make some money. If, this is investing. You need money to invest. You can't just make money out of nothing. I mean, maybe you can go gamble on some asymmetric risk play in crypto or altcoin world. But here at this channel, we have some money and we take that money and we go buy hard assets that go up with the pace of inflation and even more. And that's what you need to do. You need to get on this escalator where you cannot get killed with inflation. 
Inflation hurts the lower net worth people out there. And it, it also hurts the people who have a lot of money, but they just don't know how to get it in a system, in that escalator where it goes up with the pace of inflation. We've been through a lot these last couple of years with the pandemic. And you know, I think what it's done, it's, it's kind of scared a lot of people from taking action. As far as I'm concerned, there is a clear path for it. I don't know if re residential properties are gonna go up and down in price. I don't care. I wanna be going into properties at cash flow because that is what I can count on. And especially in bad times, I can cash flow through that bad time and hold on to the asset, which is very different from what those bozos did back in 2018 where they're gambling on appreciation. Buy properties that cash flow, and if you can get into the value add game, do that too, and that's a bonus, and that'll propel you even further. If you don't understand that yet, check out some of the other videos, but the takeaway here is get your money into freaking something. If not, inflation's gonna kick your butt in a nutshell. So we talked a lot about stuff in this video. Now, if you're a newer investor, check out the other videos on that. Um, if you're looking to buy a home, we've got other videos on why you probably shouldn't buy a home and hint, money is probably better out elsewhere into investing than to just put it in your home, which all things, you know, all things we said in this video today is still better than nothing. It kind of keeps up the pace of inflation, but you guys can do better. And we have some other content geared towards beating the average bear out there. But that's it. Um, thanks for listening and check out the website simplepassivecashflow.com for some more sophisticated investor stuff. And uh, share this with your friends and smash that like button. Lane is not a lawyer CPA, but the dude did quit his engineering job and now owns thousands of rental properties. Learn more about the secrets of the wealthy. Join our community at thewealthelevator.com slash club. And if you're looking for a longer form podcast, also subscribe to the Wealth Elevator podcast.